Well, I'd like to pray with you as we begin here this morning. Let's bow in prayer. Kind Father, we bow in your presence, and we're so grateful for your love for us in sending Christ, how it transforms our life, that truth, how it charts a new path for our life. And we pray now as we open your word and consider it that you would speak to us in very personal ways, and we're just open to what you would have for us, and we are grateful that you want to do what you want to do in our life, in and through it. And we pray these things now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Today we're concluding our series of messages in the Gospel of John. And if you have your Bible or your device, I'm going to ask you to turn to John chapter 20. The last two verses of that chapter really summarize what John has been trying to do in those first 20 chapters of the book of John. And John is the fourth book in the New Testament, and it's written as Jesus' best friend. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 30 and 31, and it says this, John says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written, here comes the summary, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so he says, listen, I really wrote this to show you, as we talked about in the very first message in this series, that Jesus is God, that he invites us to place our trust in him, our faith in him, and to receive the gift of eternal life, but also life that touches us and transforms us each day that we're here on earth. And so we've done this series of messages called Nearest and Dearest, and it's written, as I said, by Jesus' best friend, John. And he says, I want you to have the kind of relationship with Jesus where you exalt him, where you revere him, where he is honored, but also at the same time, a best friend kind of relationship with Jesus. And so today we're going to conclude in John chapter 21, the last chapter of the book, with the title of the message, Feed My Sheep. And really what the heart of this chapter is, after we believe, we are not done. There is work to do. And see, some people have this false idea that after praying to receive Jesus, that that is some kind of finish line, that now I can get on with the rest of my life. And John chapter 21 shows this, that after we humble ourselves and receive Christ, we are called then to accomplish his purposes and participate in his work. This is why Jesus says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And really what John is saying is, Jesus is saying it's, it's got to move from our head and our heart out to our hands. It remains in our head, in our heart, but then it has to move out to our hands. And he's really asking, do you know what your hands should be doing? And are you doing those things? Do you know what your hands should be doing? And are you doing those things? So let me read to you the first 14 verses of the last chapter, chapter 21 of this book. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, 
Thomas called Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you caught any fish? No, they answered. Jesus said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say this, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This is now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So the setting is that Jesus is alive. And we know that, and we were looking at this last week on Easter week and on Palm Sunday the week before that, that Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He was falsely arrested. They paid people to lie about him. He goes through a series of mock trials. He's convicted even though he had done nothing wrong. He's crucified and and executed. He lies three days in the tomb. And he did all of this so that he would die in our place to, to receive and pay for our sins. And he conquered sin and death. And on Sunday morning, early in the morning, he rose from the dead. He was resurrected. And we know from Scripture that for the next 40 days, he spent time interacting with and appearing to his disciples. And this is now the third time that he's appeared to them. And in this passage, he commissions them to go and to do the work. But it all begins around a meal. It begins around hospitality. It begins around friendship and loving people in very practical ways, in connecting with them, in doing community together. And there's a lesson in that for us. You know, right now, we can't do with the virus, we can't do hospitality as we typically would, but how can we do it? Let me give you you some examples of how we might do it. We might simply call someone and talk to them. We might Zoom with them on the computer. We might do Zoom meals with them. Debbie and I have done that, where you set the computer up and you have a meal, and there people on the other side of the computer are, are having their meal, and you visit with them. And here's something that's really cool. When you interact with them, you just stop and you say, I am going to set aside every distraction. I'm going to look you in the eye. You're going to have my undivided attention. 
and I'm going to really listen to you. And then you pray with them. People feel loved and connected with sincerely when we approach them in that kind of manner, when we care for them in that kind of manner. Right now, in fact, our staff and elders are uh, calling out and speaking to the different family groups or individuals in our church. And this is the second time we've done this. And we're, we're seeking to listen to people, to, to care for people, to pray for people, to say, is there some way that we can be of help for you, uh, w- with you, with whatever you're going through right now? And if somehow we've missed you, I, again, I'm sorry for that. It could be that we don't have your information. And so if you don't get contacted, send your information into the church, email it in or, or phone it in. Um, we want to connect with people in this very practical way, in this very loving way. Another thing you could do is you could pick up groceries for people that that need them or some other necessity. And in fact, we have a team of people in the church that have volunteered to say, I'll go and do this in Jesus' name. And they're standing ready to do that. And so if you need help like that, call the church. Let us know. Let us be the church. Let us practice biblical hospitality like that. So there's a number of disciples, it says in those opening verses, and they've gone fishing. They don't want to just sit around being non-productive, so they're going fishing, and they're waiting for their marching orders from Jesus. And Jesus appears to them, it says in the text, as I mentioned earlier, for the third time. And when they recognize that it's actually Jesus on the shore, Peter, being the impetuous one, dives out of the boat, jumps into the water, and swims to shore. And, And I've gone swimming in the Sea of Galilee a few times. It's really a nice place to swim. And so Peter arrives, and the rest of them are coming up in the boat with all the fish that they're dragging in. And as they arrive there, I get the sense as I read the text and what we're going to read in a moment that there might have been a bit of an awkward silence between Jesus and Peter. But of course, Jesus reaches out to Peter at this point. And what we're about to read about in these next verses are just a mind-boggling display of the grace of God extended to Peter through Jesus. But before I tell you Peter's backstory, let me ask you, have you ever felt like a complete failure in your attempt to follow God? Let me go one step further. Have you ever not only felt like a real failure, but you actually are a real and complete failure in your attempt to follow God, in your attempt to serve God. And yet now deep in your heart, particularly with people hurting around us, all around us because of COVID, you long to be right with God. You long to be reconnected to him despite your failures. You long to then say, now that I'm reconnected to God, God, give me another chance to shine for Jesus, to do your work based in your strength. Well, what would that mean for you? What did that mean for Peter? Listen to Peter's story with me for a moment. Before the crucifixion, Peter, who always spoke for the group, 
said to Jesus, listen, if difficult times are coming, if suffering is gonna come, I'm gonna be there for you. I will stand with you. I'll, I'll be shoulder to shoulder with you in a sense, no matter what. And Jesus turns to him and says, actually, Peter, before this night is over, you will deny even knowing me on three separate occasions. And sure enough, three separate times that night, Peter has been following after Jesus. Jesus has been arrested and he's going for a series of trials. Peter falls after him and Peter is afraid. He sees what's happening to Jesus. He can imagine what's going to happen to Jesus and he is a concern that he is gonna suffer the same consequences. And so he denies on three separate occasions even knowing Jesus. He betrays Jesus and he's a coward. He's a failure. And I think in all of our lives, at some point, at some level, we have denied Christ. And I'm ashamed to admit there's been times in my life that I've done that kind of stuff. And maybe it's because of sin in our life or because we failed or because we've walked away or we've disbelieved or whatever the case happens to be. But this is the condition for Peter right now. And Jesus seeks Peter out. And he seeks him out publicly. And he forgives him and he validates Peter and he reinstates Peter. I want you to remember something. Never forget this. We serve the God of the second chance. We serve the God of another chance. And so Peter was a leader and he had denied Christ publicly. And so Jesus deals with his sin publicly. He doesn't do this to crush Peter, but he, gives, he does this to give Peter a chance to experience godly sorrow, godly grief over his actions, which is an incredibly important experience because that godly sorrow and grief then paves the way for full restoration, which then in turn paves the way for great fruitfulness. So let me just say to you, if you have failed God, this is what Jesus wants for you because he is the God of the second chance. He is the God of another chance. Let's read about it in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Well, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Peter, I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then Jesus said to Peter, follow me. 
follow me. And so Peter had denied Jesus three times, and now three times he asks Peter, do you love me? And this breaks, in verse 17, this breaks Peter's heart. And so Jesus breaks that leader's heart, and in fact, he breaks all of our hearts over our sin. Because sin is never a casual thing to God. But then Jesus extends grace and forgiveness and he cleanses Peter and he restores Peter and he never brings it up again. It's such a wonderful thing. He never says to, Jesus, to Peter, well, remember back when you did that. Once Jesus forgives him and cleanses him, cleanses him he never brings it, it up again. And this leads Peter to become a much different person. A person who is greatly used by God. And friends, this is exactly what Jesus wants to do in each one of our lives. And so Jesus says to Peter repeatedly, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. And really what he's saying is this. Biblical love as it's defined, God's kind of love, as it's defined in Scripture, is not something you just talk about. It's not even something you just feel. It's something we do. It's action-oriented. And so really he's saying, Peter, teach them the Scriptures. Love them, Peter. Confront them. Encourage them. Comfort them. Console them. Care for my sheep, Peter. You know, the essence of loving Jesus Christ is not just getting your theology right. Some of us think this. We think to ourselves, if I just have all the right answers, I'm gold. The essence of loving Jesus Christ is not just getting your theology right, your thoughts about God right. God blesses us so that we might in turn be a blessing to others. And so Jesus says to him repeatedly, do something, Peter. Feed my sheep. Care for my sheep. Love my sheep. What does that look like for you right now? And quite honestly, I'm wrestling with that in my own life. We're wrestling with that as a church. How do we feed the sheep? How do we love the sheep in Jesus' name in our current environment? Some people, sadly, have a what's-in-it-for-me type approach to life. And Jesus addresses this in verse 19. He says to Peter, Peter, you have to understand something. This is going to cost you. This is going to cost you. And this is not, it's not going to look exactly like this for all of us, but for Peter, it was. He says to Peter, Peter, this was going to cost you. And in fact, in order to glorify me, this is how you're going to die. And we know from tradition that he was crucified. And because he said, I don't want to be crucified the same way Jesus was, would you crucify me upside down? And clearly, it will not be like that for all of us or for even very many of us. But the Christian life very clearly begins with us being humbled by our sin owning our sin, acknowledging our sin, of having godly sorrow over our sin, of then surrendering to Jesus and allowing him to forgive us and to be the Lord of our life. 
And then to begin, once that launches, to begin a lifelong relationship with him where he begins to change the orientation of our life away from being focused on ourself in a self-centered, selfish way to caring for others in Jesus' name in a way that is costly. In a way that is costly. Verse 20 through 24. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Peter, you must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. So Peter turns and he sees his kid brother, John. And we established this earlier in in the series that the disciple who Jesus loved was John. And so Peter turns and sees his kid brother, John, Jesus' best friend. And Peter sort of says to Jesus, well, if I'm going to end up like this, and I'm I'm almost imagining he kind of gestures with his head or his hand towards John, well, if I'm going to end up like this, what's up with him? And, and here we're going to see, I think, a bit of Jesus' humor at work. None of your business, Peter. And I, I can't help but think that maybe we're just seeing a little bit of uh, jealousy between the brothers here. My spoiled little brother. I think mom and dad always liked John better than me and treated him better and softer than he, they treated me. And Jesus says, who knows, Peter? Maybe I'll let him live forever. Either way, it's none of your business, Peter. What you need to be concerned with is following me, of feeding my sheep, caring for my sheep, and following me. You see, legalists never see the funny parts of the Bible. And God, I believe, has a great sense of humor. And some of the more overly serious theologians look at a passage like this and they go, hmm, is Jesus really saying that that John is going to live forever? How is that going to work out theologically? And I think Jesus is just having a little fun with Peter. And so the punchline is, what's 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 that to you? The overly serious theologians never get the punchline. The key idea in this chapter is, Now that we believe, what are we called to do? And so after a face-to-face with Jesus, Peter is restored, and he is a very different man. What do you look like after your encounter with Jesus? Peter had been a coward. Peter had denied Jesus three times. He was loud-mouthed. He was impetuous. He was pretty self-centered. But after his encounter with Jesus, Peter is then filled with the Holy Spirit. We talked about this earlier in the series, being filled with the Spirit, which gives us power, supernatural power, to stand for Christ, to live a holy life, to live a life of service. 
to do the work of feeding Jesus' sheep. And so Peter is filled with the Spirit. Let's just bounce on a couple of examples of how this impacts his life. In Acts chapter 2, when he's filled with the Spirit, Peter, who was a denier of Christ, who was a coward, who was a failure that way, now stands up in front of a crowd of thousands of people, and he preaches, and thousands of people give their life and surrender their life to Jesus. In Acts chapter 10, God gives Peter a dream, and he repeats it to him several times. And in the dream, he shows Peter clearly, and he strips away from Peter the prejudice that Peter had been raised with against other people groups outside of the Jewish faith. And he comes to realize, because God has revealed it to him, that a real follower of Jesus Christ knows and has been totally changed by the fact that God loves all of the peoples of this world. It doesn't matter what their ethnicity is, what the color of their skin is, where they came from, what their gender is, any of those things. Jesus died for. Jesus sees deep value in. And Jesus loves every person in the world. And Peter in Acts chapter 10, is transformed by that truth. Now, despite all of these things, despite this ongoing transformation in Peter's life, he isn't perfect because none of us are. And so later in Galatians chapter 2, we're told that the apostle Paul confronted Peter to his face. And I believe because of his previous encounter in John chapter 21 with Jesus, this time in Galatians chapter 2, Peter receives that confrontation from the Apostle Paul with humility. Paul confronts him. Peter humbles himself. He repents and he changes. Friends, that's the kind of heart God wants for me God wants for every one of us that kind of heart. Verse 25, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that were written. Can I just ask you, based on your best friend kind of relationship with Jesus, what is the story that would be written about you, about what Jesus has done and wants to do and will do through you. Let me give you some questions to consider as you sit around with your family in your living room or in the kitchen or maybe you're with some friends or maybe you're doing a watch party or maybe you want to consider these questions individually. I encourage you to discuss these questions and say, what are some of the practical implications from these questions? So here are the questions. In the time of COVID, how are you feeding Jesus' sheep? Secondly, in light of what he said in those two verses at the end of chapter 20 about the purpose of this book, the Gospel of John, have you let God's grace transform you? Thirdly, do you know Jesus as the God of your second chance? The God of another chance? 
for you? What would it look like for him to do in your life what he did in Peter's life? So let me conclude this series with just a couple of words. Are you best friends with Jesus now? This was really the goal that John had to tell the story of Jesus and that we would land in the place of having an ongoing, fresh, best friend kind of relationship with Jesus. That was John's deep hope for you, that that you would be very secure foundationally in your heart, that if, if you wanted to understand, if you wanted to know God, that you would come to the place of understanding that it all starts with Jesus. It all starts with Jesus. I want to leave you with this challenge that I've stated several times in these 17 weeks together through the book. That the most important thing about you is what you think about Jesus. Jesus.